This week, on the Open Nesters podcast with Abs and Mags, the Anxiety Sisters. Do I experience the debilitating symptoms of anxiety that I did for 20 years? No, I don't. It's very rare that I experience really strong symptoms. I definitely have mornings when I wake up and anxiety sitting next to me and I just turn around and say, hey, you know what? You're going to be with me? Fine, but I'm driving. Welcome to the Open Nesters Podcast. How will you write Act 3 of your life? Will you be open? Will you welcome the possibilities? Are you going toward your most vibrant, authentic stage of life? Are you curious to discover what's ahead? Are you in a fork in the road and wondering which path to follow? Would you like to hear from others who are already writing Act 3? Hey everyone, I'm Tessa. And I'm Amir. Why be an empty nester when you can be an open nester, living on the edge of your curiosity, on the fringe of your imagination, reinvention, and sexuality? Together, we'll take a journey and explore how rich this stage of life can be when we approach it with an open mind and an open heart. Tessa, I was looking forward to this particular interview simply because you talked about it for a long time. And I'll tell you, I listened to this interview and you have done a masterpiece of an interview. Really, really good. Uh, Kudos to you. Well, these ladies are so sharp and have done their research. They're so rich in what they're offering the world. And they're both at the stage. One is an open nester. One is going to be soon. And they helped me kind of redefine as we continue to do that, and we talked about in episode 40, what open nesting is, they expanded the definition for me yeah, too. I can so, see that. So let's, uh, let's hear this wonderful interview. All right. Let's hear it from the Anxiety Sisters. Welcome to the Open Nesters podcast, Abby Greenberg and Maggie Sarachek, the Anxiety Sisters, self-declared and wrote a book that's now out just this week, but we'll hopefully have this podcast out in the next month because you must get it. I got an advanced copy and I am relishing this idea of how you're creating the acceptance and happiness with anxiety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so welcome. How are you doing today, both of you, where, we, where you are in New Jersey and Ohio? We're great. We're just- we're great. We're so happy to be here with you. We really love your podcast. Well, good. I hope I, and you're also open nesters as we make this transition to discussing that. I mean, Maggie is much more of a in her body. You're not the stage of what I would call the kids are left the next, certainly not empty, but open to the idea that your nest can become what it's going to become and being with what you have in the moment, which mm-hmm. obviously when anyone deals with anxiety, we know that we need to be in the moment. So all of your tools, and we'll, let's talk a lot about that after we talk about your personal backgrounds. So Abby, you were telling me before that you're a grandma already and the idea that you were an open nester many years, a number of years back, but your, your last child out was the hard one? 
Oh yeah. <laughs> well, they're all hard to, to let go. Right. I mean, as parents, it's hard to let go of our kids. And I think that, um, the anxiety that I had around becoming an open nester was, you know, the fear that what would my life look like if I weren't being a mom all the time? And if that wasn't my focus, but I adjusted really well. <laughs> right. And even if your son, you, you mentioned the first year was rough, which some people yes. going through that may know going through rough stuff is, is just life. So yeah, yeah so. well, all my children have dealt with anxiety as well. So, you know, we joke around that it's our, it's our families. It's just genetic. We pass it to each other. And my son definitely experienced a lot of anxiety and depression around that transition period of, you know, post adolescence, leaving the nest, finding his own way. And uh, so that first year that he was away in school, we spent a lot of time at his school. <laughs> so it didn't feel like very, it didn't feel empty that year, just uh, that he was far away and the umbilical cord was tugging. And you were open to figuring out however it works for each other. And that's just a journey and a process and an experimentation. And, you know, so Maggie, how about you with your, uh, with looking forward to these, you were a later apparent later in life. So you mm -hmm. did, a, did a lot of what Abby was saying that Maggie traveled. She was like, did that traveling empty nester thing in her twenties with her husband. You started later and your kids are still home. Yes. I, I did that in my twenties and thirties. And I guess, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before, but one of the things I just wanted to say is that, you know, my kids have some special needs and challenges and so many people right now are in that are in the situation with kids who have special needs. So for those of us in that situation, our home will never be the, we'll be an open nest, but we'll need to be a nest always. You know, we won't have the same situation of someone going off and sort of being like, okay, you know, maybe you need a little help, but basically you're on your own now. We're, you know, a lot of us know that our lives will look different, but we'll still have a lot of primary responsibility. So it's kind of, it's an interesting transition and Thank that you. looks a little different. Thank you for qualifying that. It's so important now to hear that there's no binary in labeling the way things need to go. There's a lot of what you talk about in your book, labels not mm -hmm. for genes. Labels are for genes, not anxiety. Yeah. When we label what we have to do, empty, open, the idea of open, my husband Amir and I just last night did a podcast about our expanded idea of what open is that our, our son's actually been home for the last year and our kids are always in transition and they can come here and feel like this is a place right. to land and all this stuff. And we want to still help them wherever we can by creating that real dance and dialogue with them. That's very present to where they are in their lives while as they get older, they become present to where, how we are in our lives. There's no black and white. We make so and this world, this crazy COVID mm -hmm. and, and anxiety-ridden world that we live in that has so many breakdowns for anyone, even if they are highly functioning in any way, yes. all of us are having breakdowns around it. So that's why this book, I think, is such an important piece of being on the spectrum. We are all on the spectrum of anxiety of all kinds. Mm -hmm. And I talked to you earlier, I won't go into the same amount of detail, but I had read this book. I actually have said to myself, eh, I haven't had that much anxiety. I got the advanced copy. Our daughter who has experienced anxiety as an adult uh, has said to me, you know what, mom, you actually, you did. If you, if you, I said, you know, I did. She's mentioned yawning or 
breath, like being short, because uh-huh. I, I breathe very deeply. I'm a mindfulness coach. She said, if your breath is short, then you're, that could be a little mini panic attack or you're just holding your breath or yawning is a sign of anxiety. And I, in my 20s, remember, I was like, <gasps> trying to yawn. I remember. So mm-hmm. I know that I've always had it. And that was before it was as crazy of a world from my point of view. And then this pandemic has not been that anxiety producing for me personally in what my what I believed. And yet I'm about to travel and I had a major anxiety attack yesterday. And I disassociated something I haven't done. It hasn't ever happened to me. And I needed to use all of my embodiment tools to really calm down. So we are all on the spectrum. And by saying, doing this podcast to say to anyone, it's okay, is really huge. So tell us about your anxiety journeys as individuals too how that impacted your life and where you are now from that as you know if you want to start um let, let abby you want to start because you did we did maggie first but sure sure yes. so i've always been an anxiety sister since i can remember i think my first memory of my anxiety was when i was five years old and i i, I remember when i was five years old i was really afraid of my parents when we were driving in the car of a tire having a blowout I don't know, I must have seen it on TV or something. And I, and I got this in my head. And so I developed a ritual where I would go and I would pat the tires, each of the four tires to soothe myself. Now, I'm saying this now as someone who's an expert in anxiety. When I was a kid, I had no idea what that meant. I just thought there's something wrong with me that I cannot get into a car unless I touch the tires. So, um, you know, now I've been diagnosed with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and understand the compulsions and the rituals, et cetera. But I certainly didn't at five years old or as a young kid. And so I just went through up until college when I met Mags, I was dealing with all different types of anxiety disorders. I had panic. I had uh, obsessions and compulsions. Things had to be just right. So I even had sort of the arrangement thing where things had to be arranged just so or I couldn't couldn't function. So I I really had a lot of anxiety. And then I got to Penn in the 80s where I met Mags and we just immediately, we just glommed onto each other as touchstones. It was like, I I always tell people I recognized in her a kindred spirit. It was that panicked expression on both of our faces and it was like, oh, I'm home. So, so that's what college was for me was, was um, making that friendship with Maggie that has turned into the, one of the greatest gifts of my life. And she and I journeyed through our anxiety together for the next 20 years, every single day. And we had different experiences, but we had each other. So we were a community of two. And back in those days, you know, anxiety wasn't talked about in the same way we do now. And Maggie and I still both believe that there's a long way to go and it's our job to further the conversation. But when in the eighties, when we were in college, people didn't talk about anxiety and depression, especially around college students. You know, that was not in the mainstream dialogue. That was not something we didn't have Instagram so that we could get nice memes about it. I mean, we didn't have any of that. So we really relied on each other to figure out what was going on with us. And, and I'll let Mags, Mags tell you about her stomach. It's, you know, it's not that we knew we had anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, Mags, Mags had just the worst stomach in college. And we just assumed that she probably had some form of a tumor or something we didn't know. You know, I, I think that's the interesting thing for all of us about anxiety is that um, very rarely do we wake up and say, oh, I'm anxious. 
we dissociate or we have bad stomachs or we have cardiac symptoms or we yawn or we find ourselves going back and forth to the bathroom. You know, there's, there's, we talk about that there's a million different ways anxiety can express itself in our bodies, you know, which is why it's so interesting that you do body work for me, you know, because I, I think that's such a, we both think it's such an important part healing from anxiety. But I, I would say that I had separation anxiety when I was very young. Then after my father died, who had been ill for a very long time, I developed really severe panic attacks. Um, and then with the panic attacks came phobias, particularly for me around transportation. But the phobias became so enormous that it was really hard for me to leave my house. Because what happens when you get when you have a lot of phobias for many of us is that our home is our safe space. And so leaving it feels like a panic attack every time you leave your house. And so that that sort of leads to almost an agoraphobia, you know, which is really fear of having a panic attack or being coming ill and not being able to get back to your home. So I was really dealing with a lot of panic and phobias and possibly some PTSD from having a dad who was sick for many, many years and sort of being in and out of hospitals a lot. A lot, anyone who's had a sick family member knows that hospitals can be very traumatizing at times. You know, I think I was dealing with all of those kinds of of issues and didn't, I mean, I, I sort of had some of the vocabulary, but not really a way to talk about it fully or to understand the connection between what was happening in my body and my anxiety. You know, I, and so Abby and I both like to say that we spent our twenties um, going to the is, you know, we went to the nutritionists, the cardiologists, the therapists, the psychiatrists, the past life regressionists, whoever we thought might be able to help us with these symptoms, these terrible symptoms, because we didn't really connect it to our anxiety. So we just spent a lot of time and money running around trying to find anyone that could help us. Well, this is so helpful. And I'm, I mean, you guys are talking about your origins of it. What do you see for, for people who are at our stage of life in their 50s and 60s and and that have either either that it's is it is it coming back in different ways because of the pandemic like how is it in modern terms now i think people in there we hear from so many people first of all because of this pandemic who said i never really struggled with anxiety and now i am um because it's a pretty anxiety provoking time for many many people then we also hear from a lot of um, women and some men who, at times of great hormonal change, we know, like when our hormones are changing a lot, so people going through menopause or who've gone through menopause, we know that's a time where anxiety can really present in a very sort of new and difficult way, even for people who didn't really have a disorder beforehand. That makes sense. And so you're you're seeing that also when we have more time, I wonder, when you're very in the trenches with some moms, I've spoken to different moms in my stage, that they, they didn't have time to actually try to identify some of that, those things in their lives. And mm. I mean, what would be your suggestion for someone, you know, that has, that's all of a sudden realizing, 
becoming an open nester is 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 kind of just provoking or triggering this stuff during this time, this transition time. Is there any first step? Like I know a lot is in your book, and I really want to talk a little bit more about that. So we'll get to some of the chapters, but anything you would point to right away about this stage of life? Like what's the first step? Mags and I always go back to the same two words over and over and over again, self-compassion. I, I mean, would you agree, Mags, that that's uh -huh. a great starting point for anyone in our stage? Because I think, you know, I'm in my 50s, Mags is in her 50s. We're used to talking to ourselves a certain way. And what's nice about getting to this place in life is that we suddenly realize that, oh, I don't have to talk to myself that way, or I don't have to allow others to even talk to me that way. In other words, I can talk to myself in a way that will that will alleviate my anxiety, that will keep me in a calmer place, because a lot of us beat ourselves up to the point of anxiety, right? I mean, a lot of us are so hard on ourselves, especially women, we're so hard on ourselves that we get ourselves into fight, flight, or freeze just by trying to keep up with all of our responsibilities and all the shoulds in our life. And I think when you get to this, this stage, right, in your 50s, you have a chance to step back and take a breath and say, wait a minute, I don't need to be so hard on myself. I don't need to beat myself up and I don't need to have a list of shoulds a mile long because doing that to myself is actually causing so much more anxiety. So I, Mags and I say to everyone in our, in our sort of stage or age of life, you know, start with really being kind to yourself and treating yourself as you would a dear friend. Talk to yourself in a soothing and loving voice in the same way that you would uh, your child. Because really, once our brain hears that soothing voice coming from ourselves, it really takes us out of the fight, flight, or freeze response. So true. And and we're lucky to have, I always like to frame often in our podcast, this privilege of of being in a stage of life where we can evaluate if we're not, if we're not in a survival mode, which mm -hmm. quite honestly, you know, there are people out there who whether they have anxiety that they can check or look into or self or have that self-compassion to begin with, they don't even have that. They're just below water in terms of just getting their needs met. And and people that are marginalized. I mean, I do often like to say that I am a white woman, that, you know, I don't have some of the different other societal pressures that other women have. So I, I, I try to look at it as this self-compassion is my is my is my a birthright and a and a choice and a privilege. Yes, mm. truly. So, so I do so believe in this idea of compassion and riding the waves. So as a mindfulness coach and doing this kind of work that we can dance into our bodies and move energy, I do believe that we can get into where one of your chapters is about riding the waves. Mm -hmm. And that means that not putting up that barrier. So when I did have this anxiety attack for the first time, I was able to say, okay, I see you. I, I got you. It's a very mindfulness technique. You're there. Let me see different tools of how I can try to deal with you. And, 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 it, and it still stayed and doesn't, right. you know, it doesn't just go away because you recognize it. Right. <laughs> so working with different modalities is a lot of the book. And I, and I love that. And so let's, we're going to talk about a few of those. If you like this episode, you will also love episode seven, following the yes. Episode 12 language of the soul, and episode 24, Are You Securely Attached?
So we're talking about managing these waves and the waves kind of are our own and, and they belong to our children as well and in our connection to them. So I think both are interesting as they become adult kids. So Abby, you were saying, how, how do we manage these kind of waves? In well, yeah, we ride them as opposed to fight them. Right. In our book, we use the analogy of a riptide. So for those of you who are familiar with uh, you know, spending some time in the ocean, uh, a riptide is, it's a, it's a, it's a current that runs parallel to the shore, but pulls you out. And so people, their first instinct is to try to swim perpendicular, right? To just go into shore and break free of the rip current. But those rip currents are mega strong. And we say in our book, even Michael Phelps couldn't get out of a rip current. You know, he would get exhausted trying to fight it. So the fighting it is not what we want to do. What you do with a rip current actually is you swim with it parallel to the shore. So it seems like you're not going anywhere, but in fact, you go with it until it releases you. And then you can go back to shore with no resistance. And we really compare that to anxiety. Anxiety, it, you know, it feels like it's never going to end, but like all human sensations and emotions, it does pass. It is fleeting. So what we need to do is come up with a way to ride that wave of anxiety until it lets us go and we can swim back to shore safely. Because if we fight it, no matter how hard we fight it, all we're going to do is make the anxiety worse. So you like the idea of being open to ways to yes. do that without it having resistance against us. Because right. when we're open, like when I tried practicing for the first time that I ever had a real anxiety feeling that was overcoming and disassociation and couldn't calm down at the beach, something that has never happened to me yesterday. I really just went into my tools by trying things and being open to trying, okay, this is happening. I see it. Like you said, I know it'll pass. I don't know how long it'll take, but let me just try to ride how with it as the best I can. And eventually it'll let go of that grip. And, uh, and so Maggie, did you and, want and to that's a great something? metaphor for life, right? Uh, one of the things that attracted me and Mags to your podcast was, is the title open nester. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be using that from now on. I'm never going to say empty nester anymore. Hey. Open nester. <laughs> I've been, I've been changed, um, been transformed, but no, I, I, the word open really appeals to me and Maggie because it's openness to the experience, to the experience of anxiety even, which is an uncomfortable experience, but it's being open to that. You know, we're, we're not into positive and negative emotions. We think that does human beings a big disservice to categorize emotions as positive and negative because really it's just part of the human experience to have all emotions, right? Including happiness, including grief, including anxiety, including excitement. All these are part of being human. And when we ascribe labels to those, good emotion, bad emotion, negative emotion, positive emotion, then we're actually, we're diminishing the experience and we're not open to whatever that experience has to offer for us. And there's, I mean, as much as it is suffering to, to have anxiety and believe me, Mags and I suffered, you know, 20 years worth at least. The, the, if being open to that does create meaning. There's meaning in that suffering too. There's so, in, in yes. all of our lives. So, so how do you feel like you're able to say you don't have anxiety anymore? That's not what you would say. It still has its. I would say I will always be an anxiety sister. It's part of who I am. That's part of being abs is, you know, I have red hair, freckles, and I have anxiety. It's just part of who I am. But do I experience the debilitating symptoms of anxiety that I did for 20 years? No, I don't. It's very rare that I experience really strong symptoms. I definitely have 
mornings when I wake up and anxiety sitting next to me and I just turn around and say, Hey, you know what? You're going to be with me. Fine. But I'm driving. Awesome. So yeah. just a, <laughs> because and I'm not surprised by it when it shows up. I don't think to myself, Oh my goodness. Why? Why am I anxious? I think to myself, I'm an anxiety sister. Of course I'm anxious. This is part of it. So I think that openness is that acceptance was what we talk about in our secret sauce, right? It's, it's another word for openness really. Mm -hmm. acceptance acceptance is it and maggie how about you do you feel like when it when it comes up now at this stage of your life how are you dealing with that in a much more you know resonant way a, a way that you can actually look at it and see it well one of the things i i, I agree with abby i i my brain is anxious i am born of an anxious family and my brain is anxious but um that's how i'm wired but i don't have the debilitating symptoms. And I certainly don't have the situation where my anxiety is making the decisions for me anymore about like who I see, where I go, what I do. It's much more recognizing what it is. And like you did so beautifully, um, you were telling us you were trying a few different things. And that's why Abby and I always say, um, you kind of need an arsenal of techniques because so, you know, the same one size doesn't fit all and one size won't may not fit you two days in a row. Right. Most of us women know that. So it's like you need this arsenal of techniques and you kind of go through them when you're really struggling and figure out which one will work for you best. And so I think that is where, you know, the two of us are where the, the debilitation, it, it, it's not not there because it's not there because we know how to manage now. We know some of the techniques and some of the ways to manage and challenge our thinking. And, and through years and years of practice, we really have gotten quite good at riding the wave, which yes. we weren't when we started, right? Right. I mean, we were not good at it when we started riding the wave. And we make it very clear in the book that, you know, healing from anxiety and managing it, this is not a four-step quick process. This is not a quick fix. This is not something that's gonna you're gonna be great at in a week. This is something that takes time and practice. Well, I, I mean, I did think you illustrated that so well, Tessa, because you were kind of talking about some of the practices that you used. And and like all those practices were something that you learned over a long period of time, like using the bolt the you know, the bowls and listening to certain types of music. It wasn't like you woke up one day and were like, oh, let me put on this music and it's going to help me. You know, you really kind of, that was something you had practiced a long time. Right. And, and, and this, this self-talk thing, the self-compassion that, that we want to be able to have to do, it doesn't come easily because no. our society doesn't teach us to do it. And I remember you noted in your book, something from, da from Daniel Wegner from Harvard, who talked about kind of like, you compared it, I love it, to that dieting thing. Like as soon as our brain starts saying that, that you know, th this idea of pushing the thought of way, you know, as soon as we tell ourselves right. that, that, that we don't want a certain th food, yes. that food is all over the place or we want yeah, exactly. it more than ever. So we are, that self-talk is a, is a training in itself that takes so much time. Oh, it does. To really does. accept, to really be open to do, to using these tools. And that's what, what I think this, this, this book is so good for. And our, hopefully our podcast helps people with opening ideas that don't necessarily aren't part of our programming, aren't part of what we've been, what we've been taught in our lives and what are very, very busy and, and achievement oriented and quick solution society teaches us, which requires a lot more practice and patience. So 
the fact that you're you're kind of out there doing this, and this is the, the work. How long have you been researching this book? I wanted to ask you too. Like ten years together. Yeah. Ten years. It's a ten year book. At least, yeah. At least. Yeah, at well, least so eleven years. We started in January of two thousand ten. In terms of the actual interviewing process, and you know, we, we've interviewed thousands of anxiety sufferers at this point over this past decade, and as well as other experts in the field and researchers and and you can tell from the book we have there's a lot of research so much research yeah. such a rich book so i highly suggest it even if you don't realize that you are a sufferer of anxiety which i didn't realize and i got this advanced copy and it's helped me frame this being on the spectrum in a way that i didn't ever consider so you know to just to jump again to our adult kids like they leave and they need us and they have access to us in a way that we didn't when we were young and mm -hmm. I think that that how, how do you how do you see that that how does that roll out as far as the way anxiety can work? What do you think? Do you think sometimes I mean, sometimes I know I've helped my daughter with her panic attacks, but sometimes I feel like that ease can be disabling for her, too, because she's not trying to work on those tools. I mean, now she has actually completely. So that's, you know, but, yeah. but how, what do you think during that openness stage, the time they leave? What do you see? Well, you know, I, I used to be a school counselor um, with a probably a different um, with kids dealing with different socio and economic issues than maybe maybe that your daughter dealt with. So I've, I've seen it from all different sides. But I guess, you know, Abby and I talk about this a lot, too, that there is something, of course, in this generation that's a little different than in our generation, right? Like, even when we went away to college, we called our parents maybe once a week because it was so expensive, right? I mean, we had the Sunday call calls. on Sundays, only Sundays. Yes. <laughs> and Sundays, and it was like a five-minute call, and our, and our parents didn't sort of know the intricacies of our life in the same way that many of us know about our children, right? Um, and, and so on one hand, I, you know, I would say there's certain areas in which we develop competencies of taking care of ourselves that I'm not sure that we've all done the best job. I, I haven't done the best job passing them all down to my children, right? Have None of us can. Either. None of us can because there's just too much out there for them to reach for. Well, there's mm -hmm. also, there's so inter, you know, they're so connected with us that, you know, where, you know, even just the drop-off process, I watched my nephew being dropped off to college right nearby from New York. And it was like, you know, his parents were at stores with him and they were unpacking him and they were, and, you know, and I said to Abby, like, yeah, my parents like helped me carry my stuff in. And then they were pretty much gone. Right. Abby says like, oh, I flew to college. My parents didn't even do that. that I mean, it's just, there is a different, and I, and I do think that in certain ways, in certain ways leaves our kids open to certain kinds of anxiety because they haven't had that time of mastery and failure that, that we had because we were sort of pushed. Hi, this is Dave Edwards, and I invite you to listen to my radio show called That Seventies Sound, the best music of the seventies and more. Broadcast three times a week on WERB 107.5. You know, we, we have a psychological immunity, right? Just like in the same way that we have a biological immune system that fights toxins and germs, we have a psychological immune system. That, that, that's what makes us resilient, and it, we're programmed for that. Um, I think our generation is more aware 
of our psychological immunity than my kids' generation and Maggie's kids' generation. I, I, I'm constantly reminding my kids, you know, don't worry. You're, you're, your body's got this. Your brain's got this. Humans are really resilient. It's this, it, you know, we had to, we had to do some, so much more on our own, had to sort of figure out how, how to do things on our own and navigate challenges on our own. And there were definitely problems with that too, in terms of yes. creating anxiety. I mean, I ha a lot of my anxiety comes from that, I'm sure. Definitely. But, well, that feeling of aloneness and, and the fact right. that you form community, we need belonging to right. feel connected anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't feel anywhere near as safe as my children feel, right? They feel incredibly safe. You know, my son just said to me the other day, he goes, even though I'm in Colorado and I'm so far away from you, I feel, I feel like you, you're a big safety net for me. And that's not something that, I necessarily felt, even though I'm very close with my parents and it was a very loving relationship, it just wasn't how I felt. And so, you know, I definitely felt more on my own in the world, but I'm also very keenly aware of my resilience. And so Mags and I say to each other a lot, a mantra that we teach anxiety sufferers all over the world, which is you can do hard things. It's just the younger generations don't believe us as much because they, they haven't had as much experience having to do that on their own. Sometimes we've padded it a lot for them. We've padded it a lot. But I, I do Tessa, you, <laughs> you brought you brought something up before that I think is so important. Um, we're talking about our relatively privileged children. I mean, and I don't just mean economic, I mean in all certain all different ways, because the a lot of the kids that I worked with as a social worker. They didn't have that at all. I just want to say that. So we're talking about, you know, a culture of how that we raised our kids in and how we raised our kids. And that's definitely a culture of privilege in so many different ways, you know. And I want to say, on the other hand, too, I think my kids are much more able to be aware of their emotions and use a vocabulary and understand what feels right and wrong for them in a way that I wasn't, didn't have, because uh, it took me a long time to develop an emotional vocabulary. It took me a very long time to figure out what feels right for me and what doesn't feel right for me. And I feel like my kids, my kids at 15 and 18 are sort of, they sort of have that often they'll say, yeah, that situation is not good for me. Or, you know. Well, they're and, identifying and, things that we never would consider how to identify as an identity and right? an emotional composition. Exactly. So, so it's really so beautiful that's, for us to learn from them. And that's some of the things oh, I fantastic. always talk about on our podcast too. Like, what are we learning from them? So, so much. And yet we do hope that we can tell them, don't grab for the easy way. Because like we were saying, the quick fix is not something that helps us that much. And emotional ability to express our emotions, like you're talking about, is a great tool. And yet, you you know, finding your own community to do it with, not the social media one, finding yes. your own community to do it with is a, is a really important thing that we, that we want our kids to find. Like you guys found although, each other. I know, although one thing I have to say with the social media, and, and I'm so back and forth on this, so I totally hear what you're saying, is... I, you know, Abby and I will often say to each other, oh, like, you know, our, 
been frustrated at times when maybe a kid has gotten confused between like a social media relationship and a real relationship as we call it. But you know what, for them, it's much more the same. Like we see it that way, but they have much more of a fluidity in, you know, that that social media connection is much realer to them than it is to us. If they're expressing themselves vulnerably in their own private messages, that's a different thing. I yeah. agree. I agree. Yeah. It's, it's just the comparison thing can drive anyone nuts, all of us nuts. and All of us nuts. Right, we, exactly. we get it on Facebook, you know, or on whatever old things we use. You know, we get it and we say like, oh, well, why is this so easy for everyone else? You know. <laughs> So in the, in the HEAL document, documentary, I'm looking at these main reasons for a healthy life. And I think you touch on a lot of them as we've been discussing to taking control of your health, following your intuition, releasing your suppressed emotions, increasing positive emotions, which I don't, you know, you don't like the positive negative, but that's one of the things they talk about. Embracing social support, deepening a spiritual connection we didn't talk about as much and having a strong reason for living. Those are kind of the way they, the Heal documentary frames it, which I agree with a lot of. And I wonder like how like those meaning pieces, the spiritual and the meaning pieces and the purpose for living have any kind of relation to this bigger piece of anxiety and riding or anxiety. And what do you oh, think? Sure. What do you think about Yeah, that? of course. I mean, you know, we all need meaning in our lives. That's it's I think that that's hugely important. And it doesn't matter what the meaning is. In other words, it's personal for everyone. Everyone's going to have different meaning in their lives. But we have to have, we have to have the meaning and we have to have an outlet to express how we feel about that meaning. And what Maggie and I have really discovered is the healing power of community and also its spiritual power. Because I'm not a religious person by any stretch, but I'm very spiritual. I'm spiritual about human connection. Um, and, and I know Maggie feels that way. She, she may feel differently in other ways, but I know that she feels in that power of the human connection is miraculous. And what we've seen with our community, which started with the two of us and is now over 200,000. And are they all anxiety sisters or just brother or just, okay, but go ahead. We'll finish, finish oh. what you're saying. I, we, I tend to interrupt. Sorry. No, okay. Okay. I'll answer your question real fast because we okay. get asked that every single day. So I, I, it's a really great question and totally worthy of response. And Thank they you. answer yeah. The quick answer is this, because Maggie and I identify as female and as sisters, even though we're not biological sisters, that's the term that we gave to our anxiety club. We gave it the term anxiety sisterhood. But the truth is that for us, gender, any gender, any amount of anxiety qualifies you. The, okay. the community is all <laughs> inclusive. We have lots of people in a community that identify as male. We have people identify fluidly. It, it doesn't matter. Your gender makes no difference. And, and, just, the, and the 200,000 people. So where are they all? If people want to find those. We'll, we'll all talk about that. <laughs> over the world. I was just telling Maggie that, you know, we, we're excited about the fact that we have 47 anxiety sisters from Rwanda. I mean, it's all, all over the world. We have anxiety sisters and it's wonderful. I mean the 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 if you come on our Facebook page particularly but we also have Instagram we also have a website um you'll see it sort of the community there particularly on anxiety sisters in case yeah. that's what but we yeah. also have in the past spent a lot of time doing retreats and workshops and and things like that that covid has somewhat interrupted you know, right? I, I mean, COVID we're dying to get back to it. We're really dying yeah, to get yeah. back to it. We love, we love connecting with people, you know, in, in, uh, in person. We really do. 
Beautiful. So, so, so tell us so we can just wind down here wh- where we can reach you and what you suggest for people for their next step. If they want to read the book, they can get the book anywhere, obviously, on, you know, in books. Any, do you want it through your website or through Amazon? No, no, just, no we, okay. it, we don't. Just get the book. Um, <laughs> go ahead, Dabs. You go ahead. Wherever you, go wherever ahead. you can find it and you want to buy it, we're happy for that. And you can, I mean, we always love our independent bookstores uh, because we're, we're book people and you know, we, we, those, those are such rich communities in and of themselves, but anywhere you want to get your book, we're, we're happy for you to have it. The anxiety sisters survival guide. It's called how you can become more hopeful, connected and happy. Yes. And it's, and your bookstore can always order it for you too, because it's published by random house, you know, so it's not a hard book to find. We have links on our website. So if you go to, you know, anxietysisters.com, basically you'll see our book and there'll be links. We don't sell it directly. Yeah, we don't sell it on our website. We don't sell anything on our website, but we have links where you can go buy it anywhere else. And do you offer anything online right now? Are there any programs people can find about for Anxiety Sisters to connect or brothers and sisters? Well, and well non- that's, non- that's a great question. You no, I was, uh, what was I going to say? Um, so you can reach us on our website, anxietysisters.com. You can listen to our podcast, which comes out every month. It's called The Spin Cycle with the Anxiety Sisters. You can find us on Instagram at The Anxiety Sisters, on Facebook, Anxiety Sisters. Twitter and, and we answer, we will answer if you if you private messages us if you email us we answer every email and private message that we get so if yeah. you have a question or a comment and you need to speak with you know you need to have a private communication we will answer you absolutely and you can reach us at abs and mags at anxietysisters.com and we will respond our community is 100% free and always will be I love your work so much and honor it. And, and, you know, you, you mentioned one thing, so it's hard for me to not keep talking to you about spinning out versus what are the, what's another way people call it that we don't like as much that instead of. Oh, Mags and I like to rename things because certain, you know, the way we communicate about things, it, it shapes our experience of them. So when Mags and I hear the word panic, our brains think it's a command. So, so we change panic to spinning because we feel like that's a really good metaphor for the experience of panic. So then we call having a panic attack going out for a spin. We call um, our first aid kit for anxiety a spin kit. And we say that, um, that, that if you end up in the spin cycle, that's another, you know, having, you're having a lot of anxiety. We think about the washing machine and the spin cycle. It's sort of the same thing. Um, so that's what I felt yeah. yesterday. I felt my brain was in a spin cycle. You put it so yes. perfectly. And then here I am being able to interview the next day. So I felt like, this has been an honor that the universe connected us to say thank you so much for being on the Open Essence podcast, both of oh, you, precious thank people. You for having us, Tessa. You're such I, a lovely person. And we love the term Open Nesters. Like it really actually just, it hit me in a way today, you know, yeah. that it's such a beautiful term for all kinds of people, all kinds of homes with all kinds of children, you know, and, and not children, but you know, <laughs> it's just such a perfect. The word of the day is open. We like that. Where are the day yeah, and, open and, our, and, and we will all need this as some kind of a nest. So it's true. It doesn't have to we be do. with children. So the nest and it's open. So with that, we'll say, take care, be well. And I will hopefully hear some more of your podcast too. And wonderful. Bye now. 
Here is a quick teaser of our next episode with Haven and Buck dreaming of open nesting, love, and plant medicine in Act 3. We do. I know plenty of marital relationships that are just constipated. <laughs> you know, they, you know they, they have reached a point, you know, they have reached a point where they just cannot, you know, they've just poured so much into the kids and now all of a sudden they're looking at one another and it's like they haven't, haven't really done the work to maintain the relationship. And so working with this kind of medicine would, it would allow them to reconnect, to, you know, back to the, to the time in which they initially fell in love and, and got into the whole, you know, 20, you know, 20, 30 year marriage. Well, Tessa, I have learned a lot about myself through this interview and meeting these two wonderful women from the Anxiety Sisters. You know, I just realized when I used to be, a, uh, when I was a kid, I, I developed anxiety. I was worried about my parents. And I was standing at the window, counting the Volkswagen, because my dad drove a Volkswagen, and I used to count them being late. Now it's 11 p.m. They have not come home yet. So I stand there and wait and wait and wait and worried and count Volkswagen. I said, you know, if I count 50, they'll be okay. And I developed this anxiety till today. It's amazing. Um, I mean, yes, your worry DNA comes from that worry DNA comes from is, is a form of being on the spectrum of anxiety. And I love the fact that we're looking at it, at it with self-compassion, which is what they talk about. And right. and so and then noticing it, which I know you love the idea of the riptide and being a little you more know, in the driver's seat, right. too, like she had talked about. And, you know, I always he said, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not anxious. I, you know, I, I know how to control it. But the fact is that we all on that spectrum, we all on the spectrum of anxiety. And no matter what it is, I remember when I used to be afraid of flying, you know, uh, that was a real heavy-duty anxiety for me. And the fact that I can look back and say, you know what, I hear you, I see you, and if you're going to ride with me, <laughs> uh, I'm in the driver's seat. I like that, and that's a technique that I'm going to try to use now every time I develop some kind of a fear, wherever that is. Wonderful. I'm so, I, I feel like that's the learning is that we integrate that. And, and, you know, I didn't mention the details, but I will because this is our podcast. And I know that the Anxiety Sisters, Ab and Mags, were like, wow, what you did to calm yourself down from that anxiety attack I spoke about in the interview was very different and cool. And they want to look yeah. into it, which was I finally had to give myself an energy orgasm. And honestly, <laughs> that got my me grounded in my body in the middle of the night so that I could really, really settle and let it go. And I fell fast asleep and woke up grounded in my body. So everybody, there's other techniques to use too. Energy yeah, orgasm. And, there and, you go. And if you get into that spin cycle. Spin uh, cycle. Yeah, that, that spin cycle, that is where you can find yourself and you have to, you really have to dig yourself out of that spin cycle. So Well, the idea that we... When we fight things, like what that was, that riptide thing. I mean, yes, we Correct. want to drive with it. We want it to be next to us, just like a riptide. Like, we have to go in its direction. And when we fight or, or freeze, you know, those those ideas of, I mean, there's actually using food. I mean, there are all kinds of Fs that you could use to, to sure. get, get out of things. And, uh, right. and but that, that, that fight and, and flight and freeze are all mechanisms that are... That are ways that we escape, and having what they were talking about—a psychological immune system—is really interesting because that's something that we can, we do have some kind of response to this and control over by being in practice. And um, and on top of it, 
the open nesting stage when the kids leave the house is also create an anxiety. It is, it, it is something that we have talked to many of our listeners, and I think we have a couple of podcasts about that too. Open nesters, when the kids leave, get very anxious. They don't know what to do with themselves. And that is why these two ladies can help understand the stage of uh, the open nesters and where you, how you can kind of like deal with that anxiety. By being with it, the mindfulness By tools that it. we all know. So thank you so much. Yeah, that was Abs a great. That was a great interview, so and uh, I, I really appreciate it. And uh, you can find information on the resource center on our website, theopennesters.com. That double N in the middle, S at the end, theopennesters.com. And we would love to have your comments on the website. Let us know what you think. Fill up the survey, the listener survey. It takes about five seconds to do. It will help us figure out which episode, what other subject we can bring you uh, to hear and enjoy. And we'd love to have you on our Facebook closed private book discussion Facebook page, the discussion group, even to tell us what you think of this or talk about your anxiety. Because when we talk about it, we get we bond through it and we make it okay to look at it and to and to elevate and create awareness around what's okay in our emotional composition. So. Really Absolutely. hope to have you. And actually, the movement pieces of my work, if you want to take a look at the Tessa page on our website, I do talk about using mindfulness in many cases and being more playful to lighten up and to get into our bodies. And we want to thank all of you listeners out there that made this podcast possible, allowing us to bring such a sensitive subject to all the listeners and it's a subject that is very relevant. So we want to thank you for making this podcast very, very popular. And we also want to thank our sponsor for this particular program, WERBradio.com. Till next time, this is Amir. And this is Tessa. And we will see you on the radio. Ciao.